Thank you very much, Ashley, and it's really good to be here again. I've enjoyed fellowship with you from time to time over Zoom during the lockdown, but it's lovely to be here this morning. Thank you for a warm welcome. Thank you also for this passage, which has challenged me as I've prepared these thoughts for you this morning. And uh, I just trust the Lord will add to our reading and contemplation something which we can take away and will prepare us for the day in which we live. Let's just read first of all then in Acts chapter 20 and the first 12 verses, I believe this will be on the screen as well, and Acts chapter 20 verse 1. I'll remember from the previous study you had at the end of chapter 19 that Paul was in the city of Ephesus uh, and uh, a riot had occurred. Uh, so that's the context within which we start chapter 20. <clears throat> when the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area speaking many words of encouragement to the people and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Because the Jews made a plot against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Paris from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, Antichicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the Feast of Unleavened Bread and five days later joined the others at Troas where we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was pumped up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said, he's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After walking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. And as a preacher, I'm greatly comforted that the Lord has included things like that in this passage. Uh, if all scripture is given by God and is it profitable, then uh, we can go on and on <laughs> all night. But so I'm not going to do that today. Um, <clears throat> the thing that really came to my mind as we were looking at, as I was looking at this particular passage and which I'm going to try to draw on in our thoughts this morning, is the similarity between what was going on then at the very beginning of the church age 
And what ought to be going on now, as I believe very, very much, we are at the end of the church age. And the Lord's return is very soon. So I want to draw on what was going on then under the Holy Spirit's leading and apply the lessons to where we're at right now. But before we do that, uh, we're going to just look first of all at the... Um, have we got the map? That's right. Thank you very much. Uh, I can look at this one because the point of... This is the third missionary journey, and I put the map up because it is quite important to see that Paul, when he first left Antioch on this journey, he went right across the center of Asia to Ephesus. At the second missionary journey, he came back through Ephesus, and the Jews there, unusually in the synagogue, which is always where Paul started his teaching and preaching, accepted what he was saying and said, we'd love to hear more. And Paul said, I can't do it now, but I will be back. And that's why he made very rapid strides to go right through to Ephesus. And there he stayed for two, over two years. Uh, and it led to ultimately that riot we uh, will come back to in a minute. Uh, so our passage this morning shows that he went on from Ephesus. Oops. So I, I think very much. I think my thumb pushed two buttons at the same time. <laughs> uh, and he went across now to Macedonia, down to Corinth. Three months he spent in Greece. We think he might have gone a little bit further north than this map shows, because in Romans chapter 15, where <coughs> he mentions that he went into Illyricum, which is on the borders of present-day Albania. Anyway, that's where he, he went. Uh, and he then went to Philippi. I don't know whether you noticed it in the reading that suddenly we read we at Philippi, which would include Luke, Dr. Luke. And we last read of Dr. Luke in the second missionary journey when he stayed at Philippi. That's when the, uh, Paul and Silas were imprisoned in the middle of the night. That's where we finish reading about we, Luke writing the Acts, including himself. And after that, it was just the third person, plural. Uh, and suddenly, from Philippi, now on this third missionary journey, we pick up the first person, plural. They went to Choaz, which is where they stayed seven days, and the poor fellow fell out the window. And they also, I'm going to mention this now, it's not in our reading uh, at this point, it'll be next time, they came to Miletus. Now that's the nearest he got to Ephesus on that, further, uh, on that return home. He was in a hurry to get back to Judea, uh, but that's where he called the Ephesian elders to Miletus, and I'm making that point uh, because uh, I'll deal with that in a minute. And then they went right back across the Mediterranean uh, to Jerusalem. So that's the third missionary journey. Now, I've been to Ephesus, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm going to show you a few slides of Ephesus, but I'm going to put this one in. At the car park at the top end of the city ruins, uh, where you come out, uh, you've got uh, modern-day um, stalls and shops, including genuine fake watches. And I wonder what it would be like if they had fake, fake watches. <laughs> and looking at this again to prepare for the small thing, I thought, 
Isn't that similar to what we now today know today as fake news? Uh, and um, it's, uh, you know, sometimes there's genuine fake news and fake fake news and fake news anyway. Whatever it is, I thought, well, nothing much changes. Uh, uh, and there we are. So, so let's very quickly show you what Ephesus was like. Um, this is the upper part. The lower part of Ephesus was right down by the harbor and the coast, and it spread right up into these valleys in the mountains. And Ephesus was the third largest city in the Roman world at that time, a population of about a quarter of a million. It, uh, the, the, uh, the, the chief city in Roman Empire at the time was Rome, and then Alexandria, and then now it's Ephesus. Uh, the Holy Spirit knew what he was doing as he brought Paul for two and a half years, or two and a bit years, to Ephesus to establish a church. I'll come back to this at the moment, but this was a huge city, uh, one of the best preserved ruins that we have in the world today. On the way along, we see that there are all these temples. One of them, of course, was to Artemis, or greater Diana of the, God, of the Ephesians, which caused the riot. But uh, we're not going to deal with that. Lots of little side uh, areas of housing and so on as we walk down through one of the valleys uh, and uh, to the city center, which was the library there of Ephesus. It was, it was demolished in an earthquake a little later in the first century, but rebuilt soon afterwards, and that's what we see there. And then suddenly we come around a corner, and there in the distance, you can see the great amphitheater where the riot took place. We'll walk towards it, and there we are, a huge area. And can you imagine that, absolutely packed with a local population for over two hours, chanting, Great is Diana of the Ephesians, and Paul's on the stage, listening to it all. As we uh, come up on the side of the amphitheater there, this is exactly where that happened. In a remarkably good state of preservation. I think there's been a little bit of rebuilding, but you can see what it was like. And looking down on the main stage. And that was on a side of the hill in the middle of the city. Right at the front of the, the, the far distance there, uh, that would have been the coast. It's not the coast now, but that would have been where the harbor is. But again, looking down at this huge amphitheater, that's the scene of that riot that you uh, talked, uh, heard about last time. And then finally, right up to the edge of what was the coast then, the harbor would have been somewhere around about here. But the, um, over the 2,000 years, it's silted up, and that's become fertile agricultural land. That's the city of Ephesus. And God knew what he was doing when he sent Paul there on the third missionary journey to um, establish the church there. So I want to do four things, first of all, and that is just open up this passage under four points. And then very quickly, I'm going to draw five lessons for us. First of all, then, leaving Ephesus of these four lessons. They were on their way out of Ephesus leaving it behind and leaving a well-established church, an amazing church there. Back in chapter 19, we read about the work of the Holy Spirit under Paul's ministry in Ephesus. 
when this, this was something that had happened in Ephesus, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So here's Paul, just going over the leading of the Holy Spirit. And here he's led to establish a mighty church in this third largest city in the Roman Empire. Spent over two years. Why? What was God doing through all of that before Paul moved on? <clears throat> Little did they know at the time that within 11 years or so, I think this is about the year 57 AD, the Romans would be encircling Jerusalem and finally sack Jerusalem in AD 70, where the center of the church had been. And the last of the great apostles left in Jerusalem, John, the apostle John, had to get out. Where did he go? He made his way to Ephesus. And Ephesus became the very center of Christianity for the next couple of centuries. So Paul was laying a great foundation for what the Lord was going to do in the years that followed. Little did he know that at the time, but that's the way God works. Indeed, as John had moved after Paul's death, we believe, moved in AD 70 or thereabouts into Ephesus. It was in Ephesus where Paul, uh, John was led to write one of the greatest documents in human history, John's Gospel. Where would we be without John's Gospel in our understanding of the character of God and the nature of Jesus the Christ? And so all of that happened in Ephesus. Well, I've just read to you a little Extract from chapter 19. That's how the church was established with a riot as well. Uh, no wonder when Jesus spoke to John in, in the book of Revelation and gave him the seven letters to the seven churches. By the way, they were all dotted around Ephesus on the western side of Asia, what we now call Turkey. When, uh, uh, um, the, when the letter to the Ephesians was written, that would have been in the 90s A.D., you have left your first love. This church in Ephesus, such a powerful beginning. And yet, uh, just 30 years later, God had to say, you're not what you were. You're not what I uh, had established you under the Apostle Paul. So, here he goes. He's leaving, he is leaving Ephesus. Secondly, traveling onwards with God. The second thing we notice from our passage today, traveling onwards with God. These people, and I mentioned the names, I don't know if I had the names right, but they came from different cities, they were traveling with Paul and they'd left everything and there was flexibility, there was availability, there was a recognition that uh, they had to just be available for God to do with them whatever he wanted, the Holy Spirit. And I think it's wonderful, you know, <clears throat> as we read these early years of the Christian church, we're not just talking about congregations in cities, we're talking about men and women of God always on the move, always doing what the Holy Spirit is leading them to do. Available, moving on, free and willing to go wherever God wanted them to go. And remember this, they didn't have cars. They didn't have transport probably didn't even have horses. 
For the most part, they walked. In that map I showed at the beginning, when Paul set out on that, on, on, uh, at the beginning of the missionary journey, went right across modern-day Turkey to get to Ephesus, which is where he knew he had to go. Had to walk almost certainly the whole, uh, the whole distance. It, it was a relief for them when they were able to catch boats going around the corner of the uh, coasts. But, I mean, what they put up with not knowing where each other is, no radio, no telephones, no communications of that way, of that nature. I think it's very humbling to see that God established his church after the ascension of Jesus with people like that who were just saying, Lord, here we are. Where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? What can we do for you? And through that, the church was established. And... Uh, in chapter 20, you'll see this perhaps in the next um, section when you come to it. Verse 22 of chapter 20. And now, says Paul, compelled by the Holy Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I think that's a powerful verse. I'm bound in the Spirit. I'm filled with the sense of God's presence. And I've got to go. I've got to move. I've got to travel. I've got to be available. I've got to be free to do whatever he wants me to do. Uh, you, you see, we get the impression that they were locked into their nice little church congregations. There was a tremendous amount of movement going on. Read Romans 15 and 16, the long lists of names of people. So many of these Christian churches knew because there was this communication between them going on all the time, traveling onwards with God. Number three. Encouraging the Lord's people on the way. They stayed at Troas. They had seven days there. And on the Monday after the sea there, they were going to be moving on in the boat uh, on his journey down to Miletus. And so wherever Paul went, he tried to encourage God's people. That speaks to my heart. Because um, you know, it's been quite difficult over the last 18 months. <laughs> When, you've been in a, when one has been in itinerant ministry. Not that I'm looking for any, uh, any sympathy or anything like that. I'm not saying that for that reason. I'm just saying that the Lord, if he can't do it one way, he'll do it another. I've had to learn all about Zoom and pre-recorded videos and all the rest of it online. But I tell you what, I just marvel at the grace of God. For many years, I've had the um, domain name, quantopministries.org.uk, which is my website now. I never did anything about it, never started a website. And in 2019, my brother-in-law, retired like myself, he's uh, IT, uh, been very much into IT, building computers and so on, but he's never designed websites. He said, David, he said, do you think you, you, you could do with your website now? Not even knowing what was lying ahead. And uh, I said, Dave, he's Dave as well. My sister wanted the easy route when she married. <laughs> and and uh, <clears throat> it, it, I said, all right, perhaps we could do it now. And it was trial and error for six, nine months until suddenly lockdown started. And we had the internet already and the website all prepared without us knowing anything at all about it. Isn't God good? The grace of God. And... <clears throat> Uh, and and uh, to still encourage God's people in the ministry, whatever form it takes. Uh, and and uh, that, that's, that's what Paul is doing. 
By the way, when he was preaching all night there, I, I, I shouldn't have used the word preaching, he was talking all night and on and on, I'm not sure that it was always just preaching. Because um, uh, to the Thessalonians, when they were asking him about the Lord's return in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul said, can you remember when I was with you, I told you about these things? So I'm, th- I'm sure there was discussion going. I was so encouraged. I mentioned this to one or two people here already this morning. I've just done three Zoom sessions with uh, the little fellowship at Bethany in Lyme Regis. A Sunday afternoon, they have a four o'clock service and two Thursday evening midweek meetings, and all were on Zoom. And <clears throat> I set the scene for what I wanted to share with them on that Sunday afternoon. And it's not a big group, but there were probably about nine, ten people there on the Zoom. That Sunday afternoon, after I administered, uh, one or two people wanted to ask me questions. I was still, you know, uh, uh, in the Zoom meeting. And we carried on for about 15, 20 minutes, just talking about the issues that had come up in in, in the Scriptures. Now, as we said at the end, had we been in the chapel that afternoon, the rattle of teacups would have immediately squashed all of that. I'm, I'm not against uh, tea or coffee afterwards. But can you see the way the Lord is saying, if he can't get through to us one way, he'll get through to us another. And uh, <clears throat> we, we just uh, had such a lovely time around the word, the word, whereas normally that would have been lost. And I just say that, not to in any way challenge you for what the Lord may be asking you to do, but just to give some examples of what the Lord is doing among different folk. Encouraging the Lord's people on the way. And we are to continue to encourage each other, even if the form is a little different. And then fourthly, the Holy Spirit's power. And here's Eutychus. A marvellous miracle took place. I wouldn't have liked to have fallen out of a window from the third story. And also there were oil lamps burning. And it would have been hot and smoky and oily. And the window would have been open for a bit of prayer. And he was sitting probably on a window ledge. And there he was, slumbering into a deep sleep and just fell out the window. Well, it shows that he must have been very, very, very uh, involved in what Paul was saying. Nobody spotted him going until he'd gone, uh, Eutychus. But uh, there it was. The Holy Spirit brought that man back to life. And I've just, again, mentioned in chapter 19 the various miracles that had happened. I think there's a very important point on this one which I'm going to bring out in a moment. But as they went, it wasn't just human endeavor. They were accompanied by the very tangible presence of the Holy Spirit in what God was asking them to do. Sometimes we wish we saw more power of the Holy Spirit in what we are asked to do for the Lord. So let me come then to five lessons very briefly uh, from our passage today. And the first lesson is this that these were times of great change and uncertainty. It it was a new thing. As Paul said to the Ephesians, when he wrote to them later on, he said, uh, don't you realize that the old law, the old order of things under Judaism, yes, they were uh, from God for such a time as that, but this is a new administration of God's grace. A new day has dawned. A new period has started. I'll deal with this a little more this evening on, on our Zoom session when we're looking at Galatians. Paul had an insight into a complete 
change of God's dealings with this world, the gospel age. And he was one of the first to see it. Uh, uh, there were a few others, but um, some of them felt that it was just going to be another Judaic uh, sort of uh, idea of, um, of worshipping God. And Paul said, no, it's a completely new way of God dealing with this world, and I'm going to go for it. I, I don't know, I may be wrong, but I wonder if after we've come through a pandemic, it's wrong of us to think we're just going to go back to where we were before. I'm not sure it's going to be possible. Yes, I'm looking forward to Freedom Days tomorrow, the same as everyone else. But with the COVID rates going up now, is that going to last? And you see what's happening in Australia, in France, in other countries where they're having to reimpose all sorts of conditions. This is not meant to frighten anybody. It's just meant to make us think. It's God saying, I've given you a shaking. Not just us, not just the church, but it's society as a whole. And things are going to change. Uh, I, I think there's a, a, a sort of a, a, a feeling within the hearts of Christians, Lord, may we just get back to where we were. Well, we weren't doing that well, were we? The age of evangelism seems to have disappeared. We don't seem to have uh, really had a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Do we really want to go back to that mundanity? To that sense of just going round and round in circles? I believe the Lord is saying, my people, I'm doing a new thing. Do not look on the past. I'm doing a new thing. And I think we've got to be ready for it. I just feel that after all the effort on learning the internet uh, uh, things that we have done, Zoom and pre-recorded videos and so on, that we shouldn't lose that. We're reaching more people through that than ever came into our churches. Uh, and very often, I'm finding people are going on to Zoom permanently. Trustees meetings, midweek meetings, home groups even. Uh, we love to love fellowship together. I'm not in any sense denying that. But the Lord is opening up new areas. And I think we need to recognize that. But it's even more than that. Are these the signs of the times of the Lord's return? How much longer can this world go on the way it is? And is the Lord saying to us, first of all, and that leads me to the second lesson, that in the book of Revelation, John... <laughs> again taken from Ephesus in, uh, to Patmos by the Romans. And there he has those letters to the seven churches before he's told what, he's going to be, what it's going to be like in the judgment period at the end of the age. Uh, that's the book of Revelation. In each of those seven letters, they all finish with this one phrase at the end, <clears throat> this one sentence. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What's the Spirit saying to the church today? Are we listening or are we so locked into the formality of what we've always done? Or the traditions we've grown up with? Or the sense of just taking it easy? That we're not really listening. Lord, are we as free and flexible as they were at the beginning of the church age? Were they as willing to move around and to do new things and to hear what God is saying? If you've got an ear to hear, listen, let's hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Lead me on to the third lesson. What is the Lord saying? 
Well, I'll tell you what he's been saying to me as an Isaiah Bible teacher. And I'm not saying this is the only thing, and I'm not saying necessarily this is for anyone else, but I'll tell you what the Lord is saying to me in my teaching ministry. There's two things. First of all, tell my people to be the watchman on the wall. Ezekiel 33. Do read the first nine verses. If you hear, if you're the watchman on the wall and you hear of danger coming and you don't tell the people that there's danger just round the corner, their blood will be on your head. I don't mean to say we're going to lose our salvation, but we won't be blessed because of a lack of obedience. The watchman on the wall. If we know that the end of the church age will result in a time of judgments, the tribulation as we call it, with an antichrist figure and so on, what are we doing by, by way of telling the people? Are we telling them? The worst thing that can happen is when they're raptured away, people saying they never told us what they knew. I've just got a couple of things here that um, I've just picked up recently. Well, one is not so recent, but... Somebody gave me this yesterday, Billy Graham, an excerpt from something that he wrote. Don't be left behind. That's the sort of thing we need to be put into people's hands. The lady that gave me this says, when I go to the supermarket, I put copies of these in a little plastic bag in all the trolleys outside. Wonderful. <laughs> Being available, free, flexible. I don't know where she gets them from, gets them from anybody. Good News Tracks, it's called, Crossways. Oh, there's, an, there's a, an email address there. Um, and this is something from our own fellowship, which we've had a number of years. I might have even mentioned this here before. Where have we gone? And this is telling our loved ones, if we leave them with our papers, we leave them with our will or whatever, if we are raptured while we're alive, it'll tell people left behind what will happen to them during that last seven years. Don't forget, there are tribulation saints. It's the end of the church age. But it's going to be a grim twist for them. It's a lovely little book. And we've actually been able to give away hundreds of those. I've got um, four copies, I think, with me if anybody wants a copy at the end. Where have we gone? So we're the watchmen on the wall. That's the first thing I think the Lord is telling me. Uh, that we should be uh, really, really uh, earnest about. And the second one is something I've just done, actually. I've just uh, written... Um, a, a, a study sheet which I'll send, I shall uh, hopefully send out with my next newsletter at the end of August um, praying for the uh, for, uh, praying for the justice of righteousness praying for the justice of righteousness it's on my website and I've also done a half hour video on it as well when Luke records Jesus coming into Jerusalem on that last occasion they were asking him what are the signs of your kingdom when you're going to come. The Jewish people were, of course, looking for the kingdom. They knew exactly what it was going to be like. Psalm 89, for example, verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. And like uh, generations of people all down through history have been longing to see the world rid of all this warfare, and anguish and sin and selfishness and corruption. Uh, and, and the Lord in Luke, uh, Luke 17 was telling them the signs of his return. And then at the beginning of the next chapter, Luke 18, he tells them a little parable which is relevant to what they've just been talking about. 
There was a widow who wanted justice from an adversary. And she went to a judge who was unjust. And he eventually gave in to her because he was fed up with her. That's not a picture of God. That's a picture of the corrupt justice in this world. Of the corruption in country after country with people subjugated under injustice all the time. I'm not preaching politics. I'm saying this is the human condition. And it has been for 6,000 years. And of course the adversary is Satan. Broken families. Lives messed up with drugs and all the sort of things. People living under false philosophies and religions. An terrible, terrible bondage. And the Lord is saying, carry on praying for the justice of righteousness. And when will that happen? Thy kingdom come. You say that every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. And that's the kingdom when Jesus comes to rule and reign. This world is going to be a better place altogether and the nations will beat their swords into plowshares. Neither will they train for war anymore. And the lion will lie down with the calf and the, and the, uh, and, and the um, lion and the uh, ox will each uh, 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 together and uh, the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Don't we long for a world free of satanic evil and corruption? Don't we long for the justice of godly righteousness. As I say, the psalmist says, justice and righteousness are the foundation of your throne. And the Lord says, carry on praying like that widow did, that even the unjust judge has to bow the knee to God's justice. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And if we're living in the days just before the Lord's return and may even see the future in our day, we are telling the world, and we should tell the world, Jesus is coming back again. Are you ready? Do you own him as Savior and Lord? Do you recognize he died for you upon the cross? And then you're going to be part of that kingdom. And he came to forgive you for your sins, to give you new life, eternal life. But the kingdom of God is going to come on earth again. I am a millennialist, I believe. Jesus will rule and reign on David's throne and this world will be renewed a better place altogether. And I believe that should be part of our message. Number four, his people must be ready, willing and available today. As we humbly say, Lord, forgive us for just wanting to go back to our comfortable little cosy corners. Pass, Lord, to hear what you're saying and to take on board the message of a saviour that's still available, but the days are so short and judgment is just around the corner. And as far as the pandemic is concerned and what's happened, we could say in a phrase I think made popular by the late President Reagan, you ain't seen anything yet by way of judgment. And we don't want anybody to go through that. And that's our message today. We've got to be ready, willing and available. And finally, the final or fifth lesson we want to see the demonstration of Holy Spirit's power in the church today. I'm not talking about just signs for our own gratification or for our own self-aggrandizement. If we have gifts of the Spirit, it's to make us more humble and more willing to serve, not to be a higher-ranking Christian. And uh, I believe in the gifts. Half of today, 
Clive Cowell, his book on the Holy Spirit, has identified 27 gifts of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, not just the few spectacular ones. It's whatever the Holy Spirit enables us to do for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In a way, perhaps we've never been able to do it naturally beforehand. And again, as Paul went around, he wasn't forever saying, oh, look out for spectacular things. He was just moving as a human being, fired with the love of Jesus and the concern for souls. And if it was needed, the Holy Spirit with them just brought about amazing events and signs. With him. I think we got to the point very often in our warfare today when human answers have reached their limit. We can't organize the church into a better place. And we, can't, we certainly can't throw money or technology at it. We've almost reached the end. And now we're saying, Lord, it's up to you. Here we are. We want to be the people for such a time as this. With the word that you're giving us that's relevant for today. We are to be watchmen on the wall. We are to show people that there is a better world than what they've got here. And it's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And why don't you moan him as your Savior and Lord now, your King, and to look forward and to pray for his coming again. May the Lord help us as we are the people, ready and available for such a day as this. The Lord bless you.